0: I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the April 7th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to discuss current knowledge of COVID-19 vaccines and their activity against currently circulating variants. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Faith. I think many uh, in the infectious diseases communities and public health have been concerned about recent increases in the number of COVID-19 cases in the United States, but also in many other parts of the globe still suffering from the pandemic, especially Europe, India, and Brazil, for example. just last week, our uh, Rochelle Walensky said that she was concerned about impending doom because of the beginnings of what appears to be another uptick in the COVID-19 cases. Now, this is tempered by the success that the United States has now administered more COVID vaccines than any other country, but on a percentage basis, we're still behind uh, the United Kingdom, for example, and Israel, which, given their smaller populations, makes this an easier affair. So, so this uptick does not look as dramatic as what we saw uh, in November and last winter. But uh, I think any upward trend is of concern, especially with the vaccine rollout going, I think, a bit faster than many had predicted if you had asked us in January or so. And the, the increases may be for many fa- uh, reasons that I'm not sure we could put a, a single factor down as an explanation, but uh, it appears that uh, five states, and those uh, include Florida and Michigan, for example, uh, are accounting for more than their fair share of these increased cases, People have mentioned a number of factors here, perhaps the viral variants, which do uh, seem to have a longer period of infectivity in someone that's infected, offering more opportunities for transmission. Perhaps it's some of the loosening of guidance in some states, such as reducing mask wear. Others, uh, there's uh, been pointing to increased numbers in youth. And although schools do not seem to be a major factor if they're following uh, social mitigation strategies and wearing masks, uh, school sports and riding buses have been proposed as potentially uh, factors that are fostering increased cases in in the young who don't get as ill generally, but certainly can be factors in the increased rates that we are seeing. So, Uh, I mentioned the variants and there are a number of variants uh, here by the numbers, which many of you might be familiar with the one that's most prominent in our country, the 117 strain. Uh, that was originally described in the United Kingdom that's probably most prominent. This is data from a couple months ago, and the United States is really increasing its sequencing effort, and I'll show you in a slide. But importantly, it just shows this variability in states. So clearly, um, there are pockets where there's higher rates of these variants than others. And this is important, for example, on a number of strategies. First, the monoclonal antibodies, which are targeted for our high-risk patients who may acquire COVID-19, bamlanivimab, which was the original monoclonal antibody, a single monoclonal has, unfortunately, substantial reduction in activity with these variants, except for the one that was first described in the United Kingdom. And anything over 1,000 means they are not likely to work And so HHS uh, has elected not to distribute any more of the bamlanivimab. I think most uh, distributed supplies are nearing use anyway, uh, which means that instead there are the two combination monoclonals that are now being used predominantly. And on the right-hand side of the slide, you can see over time uh, information uh, from the Centers for Disease Control that suggests increasing percentages, especially of these variants. And again, because they're more transmissible, I think we're seeing a replacement of some of the earlier strains on a faster basis, as well as some homegrown uh, variants uh, that originated in the United States that we're not quite sure uh, yet if they're more transmissible or uh, have increased virulence. But that seems to be the case with 117. Now, importantly, for the monoclonal uh, antibody aspects, the two combinations uh, appear to have enough effectiveness. Uh, The casirivimab and imdivimab, the product from Regeneron, seems to retain activity without change compared to some of the predominant uh, circulating virus that we saw last year, whereas the a new e, uh, Eli Lilly combination that uses the Bamlanivimab but with a second monoclonal called Etesivimab has some reduction that's rather modest except for the P1 variant, uh, which is reduced but is still thought in this pseudo-neutralization assay to likely still have some effect. So That's just one impact of the variants. And I think that impending doom comment is a little bit of the race. It's a race that can we hold on for another month or two to get more people immunized uh, because what we have seen, and this is just uh, US data here, that uh, the real world vaccine effectiveness, if you look at the last line, in these people who are healthcare personnel who had weekly Uh, swabs looking for the virus found that it was 90% effective, so just really the same kind of values that we saw uh, with the mRNA vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer. So this reinforces the perspectives that has already been seen, for example, in Israel, which has had higher percentages of immunization and marked decreases in case rates in that country. Now, where there's a little more uh, trouble potentially is with some of the vaccines, and this is a, a very busy slide, uh, and I'll, I'll show you what I would say are the take-home messages here, but uh, this was uh, published recently as a letter in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it's just some of the preliminary looks uh, that are examining whether sera from people that have been immunized can neutralize some of these viral variants. And I leave this here because you may want to look at this and get some more uh, detail on how effective the vaccines have been in the trials and then um, how some of these neutralization assays work. And I'll just mention we think these neutralization assays are a reasonable surrogate for activity, but we're not exactly sure uh, entirely. So what I would say is this, at least in the United States, The Pfizer, Moderna, and the Johnson, Johnson, and Johnson vaccines all appear to have sufficient activity against the variants. This is great news, and I hope is a message that uh, really reinforces that getting the vaccine will offer you protection even as this virus may evolve. The second uh, is really more of a global concern and that is the AstraZeneca um, vaccine which uses a chimpanzee adenovirus vector uh, has marked reduction in activity against the variant that has a particular mutation. Uh, Some call it EEC standing for E484K uh, that changes uh, some configuration of the spike protein, and this uh, reduction means that it may not have much activity at all. And of course, uh, if this variant becomes uh, widespread, this, uh, this would bode ill for the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is already facing some difficulties um, in terms of uh, clots and thrombocytopenia and whether uh, countries are electing to use the vaccine or not. The last thing I'll mention is that uh, other vaccines globally that are widely adopted, and that's the Sputnik uh, V or V vaccine uh, that uses two different adenovirus vectors and most of the inactivated vaccines that uh, China has developed, we don't have data uh, against these variants Uh, We only know that one of the uh, vaccines produced in China, the Sinopharm, um, uh, uh, does appear to have sufficient activity against the 351 variant. Now, uh, looking at this, I just thought this, you know, modeling is something we talked a lot about early in the pandemic to try to help inform us on what kind of measures such as lockdowns were necessary. And of course, uh, this is somewhat of a grain of salt, but I, I think it just shows a bit of the impact that the current immunization Um, in both the United Kingdom and the United States generally is thought to reach that 70 to 90% requirements for herd immunity if you look at sufficient immune responses by either immunization or natural infection by the third to fourth quarter. But it, it does appear that it may be a bit tougher sledding now with the variants. Uh, that perhaps with that increased transmissibility, um, the chances of getting um, herd immunity uh, within this year may be less in these countries. And of course, uh, we'll be revisiting this, these sorts of predictions regularly. So uh, Faith, uh, I think we have a, a couple questions.
0: Yes, we do, and our first question is, considering the efficacy of U.S. authorized vaccines against currently circulating variants, how likely is it that we will require annual COVID vaccinations or occasional
1: boosters? Yeah, so, uh, Faith, this is an excellent question, and I think, uh, of course, we don't know yet, but uh, I would say there's at least uh, several thoughts here worth expressing. Uh, The first, and I think this is uh, a very prudent step, is the uh, companies that are uh, manufacturing the mRNA vaccines have already adopted uh, the uh, the variant of concern and uh, put it into their vaccine or doing some preliminary studies in humans to look at immune effect and protection issues, for example. Um, so uh, it, it, it could be that if uh, we really have uh, erosion of protection by the vaccine that it looks like we can sort of pivot uh, very easily and then get uh, new vaccines manufactured. The other uh, thought is, well, we really just need a third booster of the existing vaccines. uh, It'll be easier, it'll no doubt be cheaper, that we just manufacture more of these and perhaps uh, give a booster um, at uh, 12 or 18 months to uh, offer sufficient protection. And I think these are questions that we'll be looking at very carefully. Some preliminary data uh, shows clearly the Moderna vaccine has maintained protection for six months. And if you look at what we call a decay kinetics of antibodies, it probably will be much longer lived than that in the 12 to 18 months range at a minimum, Uh, and of course will vary amongst individuals. Uh, in this regard. And whether uh, uh, the very elderly or people who have immune suppression, of course, uh, will be more vulnerable, but that's where we we still look for potentially antibody-based therapies for protection uh, if they are exposed uh, uh, or uh, develop illness.
0: Fantastic. And lastly, this learner asks, now that the vaccine supply has increased, is the CDC still suggesting that people who have recovered from COVID wait 90 days for vaccination? What about people who have received monoclonal antibodies?
1: Yeah, Faith, these are, are good questions. Of course, we don't have uh, large amounts of clinical data to really drive uh, an answer. But from a biologic plausibility standpoint, uh, there are two thoughts that I think are important to consider. First. Uh, you know, people generally who have had COVID have mounted immune responses and people have been reinfected, uh, although not common, generally is not happening in that first 90-day period. The other thought, which I think is important, is it would be nice not to still have a very vigorous immune reaction or uh, uh, super abundant antibodies uh, uh, circulating about that might somehow be less blunt, a stimulated immune response from the vaccine. Uh, I think there's probably no harm. We know in clinical trials, people got the vaccine on schedule once they recovered from COVID-19. So that's much closer than 90 days. Uh, But I think you can easily afford to wait 6 to 12 weeks after you've had uh, COVID-19, and certainly for the monoclonal antibodies, which have much higher binding and are solely directed against the spike protein, that would be best to wait until those monoclonals are out of your system. So, uh, and I think that's why most people look at that 12-week mark uh, before considering immunization.
0: Thank you, Dr. Allwater, and thank you to our learners for those very insightful questions. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Dr. Alwater, thanks again for your time.
1: Yeah, thank you, Faith. And I I know as always over the whole year, there's been a lot of tension uh, amongst uh, issues such as uh, um, getting children to school, participating back in normal activities, also the workplace and elsewhere. Uh, I do think we're close given how um, much of the uh, vaccine rollout is accelerating in so many places and I hope uh, adoption of the vaccine and uptake uh, continues to move forward, uh, but uh, we are in a bit of a race and uh, therefore holding on, I think, for another, you know, eight to 12 weeks will, will hopefully help save lives and get us to a quicker uh, recovery than, uh, than if we don't.